Hey, everybody. This is So Many Sequels. I'm Josh. I'm Garrett. And I'm David. Welcome to the show, dudes. What's up, people? Hey, guys. What, what's been going on? Any, anything exciting happening? Oh, time change to report? Oh, my God. The time change did happen. You know what? I swear to God, I thought that the Congress passed a bill we, to where that wasn't going to happen. And then I, I convinced myself. I was like, all right, we're going to give it a shot. And then I found out that they didn't, and it was stalled. And I was convinced that we weren't having it this year. And now we, I'm upset and depressed at six o'clock. I know. We were on the precipice. Okay. They had figured it out. The Sunshine Protection Act. Look it up. We had figured it out. We were going to be done with this inane lie that we've created for ourselves that time changes. People are like, oh, I'm going to miss that extra hour of sleep. There was no, the, oh, it's, it's going to get darker sooner. No, it's not. It gets dark at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. We all just collectively lie. I tell you what would be better than daylight savings time, okay? All right. It would be work, move your hours up time, okay? So every office, instead of your day starts at 8, it starts at 9 now. And everybody just collectively, uh, businesses, we're all just going to open an hour later. Do that. Yeah. Everybody gets an extra hour of sleep, but we don't have to pretend to change it. We don't change the clocks. That's that stupid. would be great in a not capitalist society, but America would never shift business hours like that to accommodate a worker's sleep schedule are you kidding me be tired work harder i know it's just i don't understand it it's proven to have no economic benefit right the daylight savings no it was basically created in the 1940s so that kids could stay home an extra hour so that they could help work the fields with their dads but that doesn't happen anymore But if there's one thing we've learned over these last few years is that us as an American society refuse to grow from anything from the 1940s or earlier. That's true. It was a time period. It was a time period where Congress could just pass something and nobody would have any input on it at all. The people writing writing these laws were the kids going home to (laughs) help their dad on the farm. They know how important daylight saving is. Like outside of newspapers, right? Outside of newspapers, there was literally no avenue for real backlash because a law would change or Congress would make an amendment. And like the people wouldn't really find out for like maybe three months. Sometimes people would find out a year after it happened that something had changed in Congress. You know what I mean? That's why they could make compromises back then. And today they're like, oh, no compromise. Time zones in general, I don't understand really. It's all weird. You know what? Be real. I was thinking about this today. See what you guys think. Be real. Attacks everybody at the same time. They upload their servers all at the same time throughout the world. What if they did it based on time zones? What do you, would that be good? Where every, like every time zone, it's the same length. You get a notification at 145 central time and at 145 Pacific time or whatever. Well, it's interesting because they, I don't know how the app operates, but obviously the, I, they favor the West, right? Because they pretty much stick with daylight or early evening hours for people in the U.S. region. So I've always wondered, does that mean in, you know, the U.K., are they getting hit at 2, 3, 4 in the morning all the time? Or does it work differently? I don't know, because I think the app originated in Europe. Like, I think it's a Europe-based app. I feel like the latest I've ever seen it been hit is like, I don't know, 11 p.m. or something-ish. Not crazy late, but... Sometimes it gets Honestly. me at like 10 o'clock at night and I'm like in bed. Yeah. I'm an old man. Now. And so I'm like, this is as real as I can be at 10 p.m. Is, <laughs> is me. This is bed. It's just here's a picture of my dog laying at the end of the bed. With you know the, what? We should get them. We should give them the wheel that we have and have yeah. them just put a time on there 
and then they spin it, and that's the wheel, and that's the B-wheel. With <laughs> B-wheel! On that note, with the extra hour that we've all gained, because that's how time works. Y'all watch anything fun this week? Any fun movies that are, you know, not what we're going to talk about? Because we'll get to that later. I watched the first half of Never Been Kissed. Oh, interesting choice. Why only the first half? Because that was all I could make. Um, I I figured that would be the case for you. I was watching like a movie you would enjoy. I also had, I had a TikTok pulled up and there was like an interview. I think it was, oh, Actually, you know what it was, is that I was doing research for this podcast for how to pronounce names. And I was trying to listen to wired autocomplete challenges where the actors in Wakanda forever pr- said their names and I, so I could get the pronunciations right. And I was like, I can't be bothered to keep watching this inane rom-com while I'm trying to learn how to pronounce Tenochtitl. Ten- so I wandered off and then I just never went back. I wa- seems, sure. I'm sure it's a fine film. It had a lot of, they had a lot of actors that I like, you know, it had Drew Barrymore, John C. Riley. Molly Shannon. Oh, David Arquette. Is that his name? Yes. Yeah, there's one a, of the Arquettes. There was such a and WCW heavyweight champion of the world, David Arquette. It was just bad. Like, in my opinion, it was the kind of movie that spoke to those people that it spoke. It's like it was like a movie created for bad writers because everything about it is just so it's just so 90s. It was so hokey. It was like the business world that was created in that thing, like that journey, that that sense, that version of a news station or whatever it was that they worked for, the newspaper thing. It was like the it was like what gives people ideas that like they write their stories and like, oh, I'm an intern at a business and they're paying for my apartment. It's like that and that never happens. That doesn't happen. What do you think you're doing? Anyway, I didn't like what I was watching, although it was really funny when, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Never Been Kissed, Drew Barrymore writes a poem for a guy in high school and he invites her to the prom and then when she goes out in her dress to meet him, he stands up out of the limo with his actual date and then the guy throws an egg at her and says, write a poem about this, loser! And I laughed so hard and then I went back to, and then I went to my bed. Impeccable writing. Devastating. I watched Uh, Anola Holmes too. That's quite good. Watch Equally as out. good as the first, in my opinion. I'm not going to say much about it because it's new, but I recommend it very well, very much. Okay. okay. I want to check that out. I also like yeah. Enola Holmes 1. Let mm-hmm. me ask you this. I forgot the actor's name. Does Mycroft make a reappearance? He That's does. Their, it's their older brother. Come on. No. Maybe like a brief flashback. That's it. Uh, I'm going to look up the actor's name because I can't remember it. Minecraft is not. Go ahead. What What did you see, Josh? I watched a few things, but I'm. I'll say the best thing I think I watched the past week was the Weird Al movie. Oh right, right, right. I, and I, you know, maybe yeah. this, maybe we'll cover it on the show. I, I w- would like to at some point. We'll see if it happens. But man, hilarious! Exactly what I wanted out of a Weird Al biopic because it is like. Afterward, I thought you know, walk hard. Walked so that Weird Al could run in terms of yeah. satirical biopics because it just, I feel like there's now a trifecta of musical satire movies and it's Walk Hard, The Weird Al Story, and Pop Star Never Stop Stopping. Mm-hmm. All three movies are very funny, um, but it's great. Daniel Radcliffe is great in it. I just love his career. Yeah. I just admire his career. And it's clever. There, there are parts where it kind of goes off the rails a bit and started to lose me, but it ultimately came back around. So not while not perfect, 
still really good and just a lot of fun. And that is on the Roku channel for anyone who might want to catch that. Lots of great cameos too. I won't spoil them, yeah. but there's a ton of great I thought cameos. I've seen a few people posting about some of them. Yeah. And uh, that sound, and it does sound like a lot of fun. I have the Roku channel on my phone. They don't have it for Xbox, which was frustrating. Maybe, maybe I can download it on my laptop so I can watch this thing. But yeah. Sam Claflin was the actor I was trying to. Oh, right, right. Find. He was Mycroft Holmes in the first Enola Holmes. Yeah. But yeah, there you go. We also watched Black Panther, BT Dubs, Black Light. What kind La of last week we watched Black Panther and it was a fun rewatch. Enjoyed yep. myself. We did. And yes, we all watched Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We got to watch it together, which is always a plus because we don't often get to do that. But I guess let's go ahead and get into it. I do want to start with Andrew is not on the show with us today, but we do have a review from him that he sent nope. us. So we yep. will hear from Andrew first. What did Andrew think about Wakanda Forever? Here is Andrew's take, and we can use this as a jumping point for us. Oh, ours. and wait, before you read it, is there spoilers in it? No. Do we need to do a spoiler warning? Uh, we can do a spoiler warning anyway, because we're definitely going to get into spoilers. So Yes, we're uh, going to, I think we'll try to start slow before we get yeah. into the big ones. But yeah, there will be spoilers for this movie. Yeah. He said that he thought the movie was good, but not great. It's definitely not a four-star movie, but it carries the story enough to merit a thumbs up. He liked Letitia Wright's performance, said she carries the movie, and the tribute to Chadwick was great. So that was Andrew's quick little take on Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I do like his uh, little cop-out of not giving a score, just saying it's not four. Yeah. But he wouldn't pick what it was. No, he'll avoid that. Oh my gosh. Okay, well. Three and a half stars. <laughs> that is Andrew's take on the movie. Better make uh, it higher than Lion King. That's all I had to say. <laughs> that's true from a while back I'll do mine first because I decided to try something a little different and make a I made a list of some a few things that I like and a few mm -hmm. things I didn't like so that I could you know try to stay on track is the idea for me so let me read or let me tell y'all a few of the things that I liked first I thought that so the movie opens with T'Challa's funeral I don't think that's a spoiler to say I think we I think everyone was aware that they were going to do that with the character as well. So we get to see really, we get to see what happens or we get to find out what happens to T'Challa and we see his funeral. And I really thought his funeral, the funeral scene was very moving. The costuming and the music is still top notch and it's really on display in that scene. Their whole dance choreography where they kind of take this, you know, really tragic event and turn it into a celebration of life. I always appreciate when cultures that make funerals more of a celebration. So that was great to see. You know, they're all dancing. It's bright and sunny outside. The music is fantastic. So I like that. And then just the overall way they treated T'Challa and Chadwick throughout the movie, I thought was good and really honored him well. I said, okay, yes, I said throughout the movie, I thought costumes and the score were fantastic. Those are the two categories Definitely. that Black Panther won Oscars for. And I could easily see them being nominated again in those categories because, well, the score for sure, I just thought about costumes and maybe not, I don't know. That Midnight Angel suit is ugly. But for the rest of it is actually really good. And then just from a story element, I liked it in the Black Panther world of the MCU. The United States is like not good. And... We seek glimpses of that in other pieces of the MCU, and we have over time. But in for Wakanda, 
the U.S. is like best a neutral nemesis and at worst an active enemy. And we get to see that kind of at play here even more with, uh, La- what's her name? What's Elaine's name? Oh, Val. You can just call her Val, Val. for now. I'll look with up her Val, form. who is the head director of the CIA. And Everett Ross is getting thrown into this as well, even though he's more of an ally to Wakanda. But I just like that there's a whole plot line going on here where, yeah, the U.S. is trying to, like, keep the peace and everything through the U.N., but also they were definitely secretly trying to steal vibranium from the depths of the ocean. So that's cool. I just, I don't know. I like that. It's different. It's a little different. So those are my likes. So yeah, her full name, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. De Fontaine. So, she also goes by Val, but you can... Yeah, she is, uh, yeah, spoiler alert, revealed to be the new head of the CIA. Right, right. Because we, you know, she's popped up in previous MC right. entries across TV and film, but this is like the most we've seen of her yet. I believe so. She, We see her for a little bit in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We also see her at the very end in the post credit scene, spoiler for this movie, of Black Widow. And I don't know if we've seen her in another spot than that but those two films and so and she's supposedly going to be a big part of the forthcoming thunderbolts film whenever that eventually happens yeah yeah i've heard the same thing all right gary do you want to go or do you want me to take it no i was going to say josh finish up you for things you didn't like if you didn't oh you want me to do my dislikes as well okay i thought the plot got messy sometimes there were too many locations and storylines happening and it felt like a lot of that was because there were there was a lot of time spent setting up the larger MCU future versus Black Panther's future. I thought, it, yes, like you just said, David, Val is there in a way setting up for this Thunderbolts movie. The Ironheart character is going to have a Disney Plus series. So it felt like there was some distraction from the Black Panther of it all to give focus to these other projects. And it made it, it made the runtime feel, I felt the runtime a few times. And I looked, and this is the second longest Marvel film after Endgame at two hours and 41 minutes. Didn't love that. As I said last week, I would be disappointed if Shuri ascended to become Black Panther, and I am. But mainly because of the way it happened, I just truly did not feel that she earned it. Even at the end of the movie, I continued to not really believe that she's had a change of tune or change of heart about anything it and it just felt like you know in in black panther t'challa goes through some serious physical challenges to become black panther and she just like makes a potion and becomes black panther and i didn't like that how easy that was i get the her grief perspective is similar to t'challa's when his father dies there's more to becoming black panther to me than simply i forget the term but just becoming the queen because everyone else died so I don't love that. And then and my last one is that thought Namor w- was, Bad. yeah, I did not think he was a great villain, but I don't think he was the worst. He actually started out better, I thought, and kind of it unraveled for me a little bit over time. But my main problem that I'm getting to here is I thought that the conflict between Namor and Shuri was resolved way too quickly. I don't trust Namor, obviously. I don't think anyone should trust him in this new allyship he's pursuing with Wakanda. But I did not buy that everyone would just be cool with them flying up and being like, hey, war's over. We're good. Yeah, that's a like, conversation I want to have in a little bit, too. Yeah. Um, 
So I was a little let down by that because there is a lot of almost like geopolitical stuff going on between Wakanda and Tolokan. Talokan. Talokan. There's a lot of geopolitical stuff with Wakanda and Talokan that I thought was really interesting, and but then it just resolves itself a little too quickly considering the runtime, especially. So those are my issues, my main issues. Yeah, I I think I've gone through a roller coaster on this one because I think after the viewing, it was, a, you know, I wasn't feeling too hot about it because I think that the problem that I had initially was that we talked about how Black Panther didn't feel like a Marvel movie in our review last week. And I think this one is just an average Marvel movie. Um, I don't think that, I think that what this movie lost as far as like focusing on Black Panther and Wakanda and doing that, obviously it changed. But you had so many other pieces that you were reliant on. You had Everett Ross, you had Joey Louis-Dreyfus and her characters. You had Ironheart. You had this new Midnight Angel character that you introduced. You had a whole bunch of different pieces that you just didn't necessarily have in that first one. And I think that it, you kind of felt a little bit of a scream. But, having said that, I think when I think about it a little more, I look at this movie currently and think that it could be seen as like an Age of Ultron type thing for the overall MCU. Right. I'm removing this movie from the idea of it being just a solely Black Panther and putting it back into the Marvel world. And how does it expand? Right. We get new characters. It's laying the groundwork for various other things. Shuri looking at her. How is she going to interact with all of the Avengers? That's an interesting thing because her path is clearly different than T'Challa. So it lays a lot of roads. And I think that we'll look back at it as a movie that is like helping build something in the bigger universe. I think it lost a lot of the culture. I don't think it was overly successful in building the same kind of world that it wanted to in Talokan that it did with Wakanda. Everybody keeps trying to build an underwater world and I haven't found one that has wrapped my interest. This equally as disinteresting as I find Aquaman, I don't find the underwater worlds very interesting and that could just be a me thing. But I do think that they had an opportunity for something to be exploited between the two different types of how they view the vibranium, right? Both of them are wanting to keep it a secret for various different reasons. I think that it could have been an interesting way to discover. These scientists found this thing and Namor had no idea that this was going on. And then they were like, yeah, we'll sell your stuff. Give us all that money, like blah, 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 blah. We'll sell it out. And then Wakanda's over there like learning that it's not just our resource. So how do we have, and then that's a better conflict, but both of them, I don't know. I think that for me, I didn't necessarily care for the conflict between Shuri and Namor. I agree overall. I think that it was there. I just think it was a little, um, so I didn't necessarily care. They also, again, relied on a big giant battle at the very end, similar to other Marvel movies. I don't have a critique for that. That's just a thing that other Marvel movies do. So it just feels like an average Marvel movie to me. And honestly, when I think about it like that, I like it better than if I'm thinking about how do they carry everything on. Then you're thinking, well, like, yes, it's easier to think of it as a Marvel movie instead of best picture nominee Black Panther. Right. Right. And so honestly, it helps. It is interesting how differently people can like what the things people take away are, because there was a lot of. To me, this felt like the least MCU movie in a while. The inclusion of certain... Well, I'll get into that in a second. We knew that this movie was going to be kind of different because 
Well, there's a lot of films that are posthumous films, you know? The Dark Knight came out seven months after Heath Ledger died. Night at the Museum 3 came out four months after Robin Williams died. Uh, Star Trek Beyond just a few, like one month after Anton Yelchin's death, right? Seeing a movie that's so tied, that has an actor like really tied to it like that, it's always kind of hard to, and I think back to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and the feelings I had watching what was essentially Chadwick Boseman's last performance, or at least last major performance. None of those films, though, really had the time or opportunity or chance to be a tribute to the actor they lost, which this did. This had the time to think about it and to really make the loss of its lead principal actor and character the like the driving, inciting incident of the story. And they could have gone about this a lot of different ways. I was genuinely surprised that they kind of made T'Challa's death mirror Chadwick Boseman's actual death. They use lines like, um, he suffered in silence. And they used words like, you know, how could we not know that this was going on and things like that. And so like, that was kind of, that was really interesting to me that they could have said, they, they really could have said nothing, you know, about how he died. And the movie, you're right, Josh, it opens with his funeral, but directly before that, it opens with Shuri rushing to try to find a way to save him, to come up with, a replacement for the heart-shaped herb that gives Black Panther his powers. And she's unable to she's unable to figure it out in time. I personally, I really like this. It's not gonna be my favorite Marvel movie, Marvel Studios film necessarily. But for me, the larger elements of the MCU sort of faded into the background. I know that we mentioned those characters who are there, but I thought that they incorporated Riri Williams in a pretty natural way in terms of what she does and what her ability is. She, to me, didn't necessarily feel forced in there. And there was a more natural way they could have done it that I kind of thought of as I was going to the movie. But I really appreciated her inclusion because I kind of felt like she gave Shuri a peer as opposed to all of these people that are older than her telling her what to do. She gave her someone that she could be the you know she's the she, you know now she has someone that she's the expert around right she's the one to say no this is what we should do and personally i thought i i did i don't want to I'm, i really i don't want it to be a fight or anything i disagree wholeheartedly on her not earning the mantle of black panther i feel like this movie is an origin story for shuri more so than anything we really got for t'challa when we first meet t'challa he's already been black panther for who knows how long and he has to defend his right against M'Baku and against Killmonger. But, you know, we don't have to, we don't see him going through as much as Shuri loses in this movie. Namor says that the most broken people make the greatest leaders, or at least can be, only the most broken people can be the greatest leaders. And I don't know if it's true, that statement. I think great leaders would like to think it's true. But it's definitely an interesting premise for anybody who has gone through trauma or has gone is going through a tremendous amount of grief that the things that break you will can ultimately be the things that lead you to build yourself back up into something better. You know, she goes through a lot of struggle. She goes through she has a lot of challenges and she overcomes them. And she you know, she doesn't just make a new heart shaped herb, you know, synthetically. She goes on this sort of emotional journey that leads her to basically puts her in connection with all the people she needs to meet to overcome this problem. I really thought that to move on to Namor, I thought it was 
honestly, I thought it was great in so many ways because the character of Namor in the comics has a hatred for the surface world because they pollute his oceans and they, you know, sink ships in his, uh, you know, around his home and things like that. And they've ruined things, right? You know, he has, so he hates the surface world. Namor isn't a hero and he isn't really a villain. He has his own agenda. Sometimes he sides with the Avengers when they're, you know, when they're, when their ideas align. And sometimes he'll side with Dr. Doom and Magneto when their ideas align. It really, he has his own unique agenda that's not beholden to necessarily the ideas of, I'm a good guy, I'm a bad guy, which is a very difficult character, I think, to write, a very difficult character to put into a world like this because he's as basically, he's as loyal as his options. So, you know, how do you put that character in? I thought it was, there comes my dog. I thought it was actually really smart to recontextualize Namor's hatred for the surface by weaving it in with the cultural heritage of Central and South American people. I thought that was a stroke of genius in terms of you, whether or not it predates the casting, they cast a, a Latino actor, a Mexican actor, Tenoch Huerta, to be Namor, and they found really creative ways to make that work and make it make sense with his character his name changed because here's a little fun fact for you. Namor, his name in the comics, does not have any sort of Spanish origin. It's just the word Roman backwards because the creator was like, I was trying to come up with a fun name. And so I started writing names backwards and I came across Roman and spelled it backwards. I went, ah, Namor, that's cool. Went with that. But they found a way to give that a Spanish origin. I was like, ah, great. Child without love, sin no more. Um, and so I found him to be a very complex character. He definitely played Ramonda differently than he played Shuri. With Ramonda, it was all about intimidation. It was all about, you do this for me or I will, you know, I'm, you know you're going to be the first to go down, right? With Shuri, he worked on her empathy. He said, look at your world. Look what the colonizers of the world have done to our people historically. We should be allies, not enemies, right? And Shuri was able to empathize with that. And she was able to see that her, by continuing this war, the only people that are going to get hurt are the people who have nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? It's just the innocent is the innocent people of both of their countries. Josh, you were you're right about the thing about the war ending too quickly, and I think this is a conversation I'd like to have. I don't know if this is a Western society thing, so you guys help me out here. This might be to be a Western. We have it a weird obsession slash fashion fascination with the warrior king, right? Like the idea of the leader of your country being on the battlefield fighting the fighting in the war, right? And I don't know why that. So, yeah, wars would be a lot easier if the guys who were in charge got out there and had a fist fight first, wouldn't they? And then they go, uh, he whooped our butt. So let's come up with a peaceful resolution. You know, Putin just got his ass kicked. Let's, you know, wrap this up, right? But when the two people who are the most, who are the reason the war is going on, are the ones in the fight. For whatever reason, we have like a, it feels like a weird sense of nobility, whether it's Leonidas or King Arthur or, you know, here the Black Panther being the, both the ruler and the lead soldier of his people. I'm trying to think of other examples. Thor is technically that way, even though he's not the ruler of Wakanda. He's Prince of Wakanda and he's out there on the battlefields. Why, why do you guys think that is? Do you have any speculation? I don't know. I mean, it's definitely an old trope to have, you know, 
the king or the leader or whatever you have it on the battlefield. And it's just like, in reality, that hasn't happened for centuries, probably. I would have, so I think so. It, it yeah. is odd that we continue to perpetuate that trope. I mean, it makes sense in this context, though, I guess, because like, what other option is there to not have the Black Panther participate? That wouldn't work. Either. I have a suggestion because, David, I think you make a lot of good points. And I think that you point out a different perspective of the movie. And I appreciate that. However, I think one argument that I would put into that is that based on your argument, Shuri shouldn't be Black Panther. She should have identified somebody else who is prepared and has that experience and has that battle tested because now Shuri's not only the queen, but she's the technological expert. I don't know about she that. She is the, I do, because I don't, I don't think the that. three's going to be there in Wakanda. She's might be helping out on the outside, but everything that is Wakandan right now is under Shuri. She is the Black Panther. She is the technological person. She is the queen. She's, she I don't is think she's going to be the queen. I and think... so if she's not, that's fine. But right now she is. And so had she picked a different person rather than, again, create the Midnight Angel, she could have picked Okoye to be Black Panther. I think that if I think that for storytelling purposes, whoever's Black Panther has to be able to fight because of how they have it set up. Right. I think so it was now her, Shuri is everything. I do think it was her mantle to claim based on the ending of the movie. I don't think she's going to be queen. I think that she's content with relinquishing that because at the end of the movie, they are having they're having the challenge day and Shuri doesn't show up who shows up in Baku. So I don't that, think she's that's queen. for challenging to be black. Paint. I think Not she's the king or the queen. That's for challenging to be black. Paint. Well, the challenge is to be the challenge is to be Black Panther and the and and the, the ruler. They're one in the same at that point. Black I think. Panther, it, but they're not. I mean, the thing is, they don't have to be one in the same because, we, as we see in Civil War, T'Challa's Black Panther, but his dad's still king. The Black Panther is just the sort of chosen warrior of Wakanda, whereas That's the fair. king or queen can be someone else. It's just the best warrior in Wakanda. Now, Shuri at this point doesn't have to prove that she may be considered by some an illegitimate Black Panther within the Marvel universe. We'll just kind of have to see. But um, it's sort of hers to, it's sort of her mantle to claim because Okoye, as interesting as she is, I just don't think she has the greater sense of nobility, I think, to be Black Panther. I don't think Okoye lets Namor off that beach. You know, yeah. I don't think no, I don't think she's capable. I don't think I think she use she's a hammer and all she sees are nails. Essentially, I don't disagree she's, with that. And she she's, and she, you know, she's capable. Yeah, go ahead. My she's suggestion capable, for she's capable of love and caring and all that, but she's a fighter, right? And so it's a very different thing. And I felt like a part of this movie was moving Shuri from being a disinterested participant in her own society to being an invested leader in her society, which is definitely the message that I think a lot of, I think a message that a lot of younger people need to hear today is to not just be a bystander in your own society, to do what you can to make your, whether it's your country or your world, a better place to not just sit on the margins but to get involved in however, whatever that means for you. And that's kind of, I think that's where that's, that to me is the story they're trying to tell is the Shuri we met in Black Panther one. She's, you know, 
a really smart kid who scoffs at tradition, right? And here she's pulling both her progressive attitude and the traditions of Wakanda and combining them into a new identity. So that's, I don't know. In terms of, I'll tell you what, guys, if this was a bad movie, I don't think we'd have this much character stuff to talk about. We wouldn't. No. And that's why I don't think it's a bad movie. I no. just don't disagree with the direct, or I don't agree with the direction is all. Yeah, so, I think, you know, I think there's a chance that it could be interesting to see what she does going forward. But I think that, again, another option that they could have done was to make Shuri... I have no problem with the journey that Shuri went through. I think that she needed to go through all of that because she was struggling with her own thing. But again, my only issue is from an overall storytelling perspective. Right now, she is wrapped up in every single thing that they have. I didn't necessarily like how they ended the movie with that bonus credit scene. I didn't necessarily care for oh, that man, personally. Oh, man, Did not care for that. The whole time. But, you know, I get it. I don't Personally. knock it. I don't like uh, it, but it, I don't, I get it. You're broken up, Dave. In my heartbeat. You're broken up, Dave. Oh. You said, what about a heartbeat? Oh, he's back. There he is. I, you guys are the ones who were freezing up for me, so that was tough. Oh. It gave me heart palpitations. The second, oh, huge spoilers if you made it through this far. But yeah. mid credit scene. Nakia walks in with a young boy. And the second I saw a young boy, my heart started beating so fast. I was like, like I, I knew what was about to happen. And I was like, I was really ready for it. It is one of those things that is sort of comic book inspired, but not necessarily directly inspired. T'Challa's had a lot of different kids. We're never going to get to see peak relationship that is from the comics, which is T'Challa and Storm, but it is nice to, you know, the, you know, the lineage will be passed down in to his, to his son. And that is a, that's at least an, you know, I'm fine with that. I don't know. I, they can do nothing with that ever again, or that could be something really big 20 years from now, 10 years from now. I, it doesn't really matter to me. I think it's just kind of a, just kind of a thing, just kind of a nice thing. It would be, I feel like in a bubble, removing the idea of like Marvel Cinematic Universe and all that, like it's a fine ending, like that little mid credit scene, that's fine. People are going to be, I think, cynical about it because of the MCU and, oh, what does that mean? Oh, is she the Black Panther? They're going to be like all whatever, but I, it's just a nice thing. You know, that's all it is. Yeah. Oh, and I don't I don't know if he had, I don't know, I don't know his family structure. That might have been Chadwick Boseman's actual kid. I don't know. Sorry, loud, loud noises. Very loud bang just happened. I will offer some criticisms real quick. I agree with you, Josh. It is lengthy. It's very dialogue driven. This is going to be kind of a weird criticism, but it's kind of low on action. There's not a lot of like, there's, there are some chase scenes. There's some fight scenes. As you mentioned, Garrett, it does end in a climactic battle, but and there's that's a why, lot. David, it, there's a lot of talk in these movies. That. You need the Black Panther to be someone who can fight that. I mean, that's just the structure. Without well, the Black Panther, the movie is not the same. What, that is and action, and that is just the way the movies are. And that's a, and that's what I mean. It's very talky in between. It's very. This is a very reflective, very conversational movie. You know, there's a lot of like great scenery shots. There's a lot of like very character driven montage moments. That type of thing. There's a lot of sneaking, but there's like it's not like it's not like the complaints about you know Doctor Strange or I'm trying to think of another one from recent memory. You know where 
People just complain that it's just action, uh, action over and over again. It gets monotonous. It's, you know what? It's the opposite of Jurassic World Dominion, where we were just by the end of, we were like, how many death-defying things can they survive before this movie ends? And I don't know if it's a criticism. It's just an observation. It's a very different from most MCU movies in that it's not overly action-packed. It's very thoughtful. There's a lot of scenery. I gotta say, so I previewed this in the Discord last night, guys. I cannot imagine a more hellish experience than living my entire life underwater. Oh, listen. Yes, I wanted to go back to that anyway, because I agree that underwater people do nothing for me and I'm tired of it. And I will say more about that in a second. But why is this company trying to force underwater blue people on us so heavily this winter? <laughs> yeah, this was Marvel meets Avatar meets Waterworld meets Aquaman. That's meets a joke. That's mainly a joke. I, but for I'll real, living what. underwater would be awful. Tell you what, at its base conception... Sure. Love the idea. Underwater society. It's a very yeah. common trope in, you know, Western literature. The yeah. secret underwater Atlantis. city. Atlantis is where Namor is from in the comics. They moved that to make it make sense with his, his with his, you know, Hispanic origin in this movie. Right. But when I was watching them, them swim through that city and people are like swimming. I'm just sitting there thinking, how do these people go to sleep? Do they have to wear like small anchors to go to sleep? Do they even bother sleeping in a bed? Like you would never truly stand right. up. If well, you but live then your entire life underwater. In this underwater society, they seem to live in air, an air pocket of sorts. Yeah, because there were air pockets where they, where, you know. I will say though, I, it took me an embarrassingly long time to figure out that they were wearing water face masks. Yeah, I was like, they were what wearing... is that on their face? It looks yeah, gross. They were and like, I figured it out. That was how they breathe. Is these little yeah, water face masks? Clever. It was. Um, that was a way to hide the pandemic. Like I that, like the I, idea that I they're like, blue on tell land. Sherry. They're blue on land, but they look regular underwater. That's fine. That's a really cool idea. But my other complaint, so, but yeah, just, why would anybody go that? Obviously, they didn't realize that was what was about to happen to them. They drank this liquid and then they get in the water, but they create a whole underwater society. That just seems like hell to me. I would not want to live underwater my whole life. No, there were many terrible. moments. I told you guys a few weeks ago that the Titanic really scarred me from the fear of drowning okay. or scarred me of the fear of drowning. There were many moments in this movie where I was deep breathing because I was like, this is where David died. David died right here when this when the water swept over him because I can swim, but I'm terrified of drowning. Yeah. My other sort of lead complaint is the movie's really dark sometimes, and there's a lot of action sequences that take place in the dark. I had that thought too. It was very, it reminded me of the Game of Thrones critiques that went yeah. around a lot in like 2016 where it was like, and the episode's so dark, I couldn't say anything. And I don't think these were at that band but there wow. definitely were times where i was like is it just this dark so that they so that the cgi appears better you know because like that is that's a trick that's a trick yeah, that you know it, they do but yeah the, a lot of the a lot of the first hour is like really dark and obviously all of the underwater scenes are pretty dark too which makes sense because it's dark underwater but uh, i just couldn't like there was times i was like i couldn't see anything and you know what credit to the dolby theater and they're blacker than black screens or whatever it is that they got going on. The screen's yeah. still on. Gotcha. I can totally tell that the screen is still on. Yeah. But I could, it was too dark. I still couldn't, I still couldn't make stuff out. So yeah, that's another complaint. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. You, you nailed it though, Josh. The music was great. I, the, the score was great. I do have smaller, more nitpicky thing. And that is that sometimes like actual pop songs were put on screen. And I found that distracting a couple times. Yeah. But the score was still extremely good. But yeah, I yeah. didn't love the soundtrack, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, and that's always kind of a... I mean, I feel like some of that is... That goes back a little bit to... I think the first Black Panther had a few things like that. 
It's either it just saved like one Kendrick Lamar song for the end. I can't remember how it worked. Yeah. But yeah, soundtrack can be hit and miss sometimes. I need more George Strait or something like that. Mm. Uh, you know, and anyway, I almost sang Brooks and Dunn instead. Yeah. I don't know. I was trying to think of it somewhere else to go with that. But I, you know, the score for Wakanda was great. Yeah. The score for Talo Khan and Namor and the Morse score was really good too. I really, I was like, when those like strings would come in, I was like, oh, this is definitely a different feel. I like this. It's good. It, you know, and I'll tell you what, for all the people who have complained over the last, whatever it is, four years that the MCU movies are too jokey and too humor filled, here's your movie. Cause this movie is not very funny. It's pretty dead serious for most of the film. As dead serious as a movie with wings on his feet flying around in the air can be, this movie did not have like a ton of jokey joke stuff. I think there was probably like four or five like real laugh lines and like four out of the five were in Baku. My favorite laugh line was Riri telling Okoya she needs to be conscious of how she looks going around walking with that bald head. My favorite that was, was when great burn. M'Baku is chomping carrots and he goes, you bald-headed demon. Yes, there were some really funny parts, you know? but you're right, it is mostly a pretty serious movie, which, you know, once you see it, you'll understand why. And I get why it's a series, but yeah. So, I mean, but that's been such a weird complaint over the last few years is that the MCU is too glib and that it's too jokey and too lighthearted and too family-friendly. And I found this movie to not be very jokey at all there are moments there are brief moments of humor there are some things that are sort of more lighthearted, but is yeah pretty serious conversation for most of the movie no i don't think you could make those same complaints about this one that that you know it's some sometimes there's a little bit of cringe humor in the mcu and that did not happen this time but i was gonna try to do a clever transition but i don't have one it's just time to talk about the opening weekend numbers <laughs> yeah let's talk about what's not cringe. big big you know uh, another big surge into the box office that was probably very much needed yeah i'll have to look and see where we are for the year as a whole but right now we have opening weekend estimates and this number could fluctuate by you know three to four million it could go down it could go up but as of Sunday, November 11th, this movie opened on November 11th, 2022. The domestic haul for the weekend is 180 million. The international haul is 150 million for a worldwide total of $330 million, which is not a bad overall worldwide opening. 180 million puts it just just about 7 million off of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness from earlier this year. So, uh, you know, my, my prediction last week was they would open to about 190. And that was me being a little bit hopeful that, maybe not hopeful, but a little bit, I was trying to think Black Panther is more popular than Doctor Strange. So right. there's a chance that just the curiosity of what they're going to do and the name recognition of Black Panther would push it over multiverse of madness and that could still happen because i mean it could finish just three million off they're about even in the long run it is the with that total with that 180 if it stays at 180 that would be the eighth highest opening weekend for a marvel studios film and it would be number 13 all time and so we'll see if that number holds out sort of looking at it right now black panther wakanda forever would already be the number nine movie of the year you hate to hear about this certain people are going to hate to hear about this but with that number it already its debut weekend is higher than Black Adam, its entire run. Don't tell The Rock. Tell The Rock that. But we'll have to see if it holds on because if that number holds true, then it'll be the number eight movie of the year. And it's just going to go up from there. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness finished with $411 million. So I think that's probably 
where this movie will likely finish is somewhere between 400 and 420. It could pick up more. It could pick up more over the holiday weekend. We'll see. But I think that's a pretty likely finishing spot for it. Worldwide with 330 million, it's already at the number 12 spot. So we'll see how that ends up finishing. That's all the numbers I really have for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, I imagine it will have pretty good legs, at least for the next few weeks, because there's right. not a lot of big tent poles coming out anyway. Right. But it will word be. of mouth yeah. has been pretty good from what I've seen. I saw that it had an A from CinemaScore, which is which rates moviegoers as they exit a theater. So it's not like online. Do they do that like nationwide or is it like just LA or something? I, I think they do it strategically. I think it's, you know, a pollster type thing. Like it's a sample size that there's there's a part of me that would love to be polled by cinema score as I walk out of a movie, but then okay. there's also the part of me that knows that I don't like to talk about the movie until I get to my car. So I feel like if somebody like got me right as I walk out, what'd you think? Eight to eight F. I'm like, I don't know yet. I, I have to think about it. I can't put it. a number on it. I have to talk it out on my way home. Yeah. Can you call me there? Yeah. I would love to give you an answer, but not right now. My phone number. Uh, call me in one hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. So I think it'll, I think it'll be okay. And I will, think Black Panther will be fine. And it will be interesting to see if we do at some point get another Black Panther movie. Like, yeah. I'm like sure we'll titled Black Panther or something, or if they're just going to maybe move Black Panther into a supporting Avenger role for a while until they figure that out. Yeah, you never know. Either way, I can't imagine we've seen the last of Wakanda. So, mm. well, with that, what let's uh, let's try to guess what the Letterbox community thinks about this movie. I believe last week we figured out Black Panther 1 had like a 3.8 or something like that. It's like a 3.8 or a 3.7. So... I'll look it up. What's your guess, Garrett? I don't know. Three and a half. Let's just shoot yes. it in the middle. No, yeah, 3.7 for Black one. Panther 1. 3.7 was B BP1. And it's dumb because I want to guess 3.52. Uh, you know what? I'm going to guess 3.7 and say it's the exact same as the last one. Yeah, I'll go. It is early. It's early. I'll go a little bit higher. I and mean, this was my guess originally, but I'll go a little bit higher. I'm going to guess that it's already starting off at a 3.8. Okay. Man, we are really close. I feel like, I don't even know. I don't know. It might be a tiebreaker situation. Black Panther Wakanda Forever has, already has over 100,000 ratings. What did Ooh. you, what was your guess, David? 3.8. Okay. 3.7 for me. And a 3.5 for Garrett. We do not need any kind of tiebreaker because we do have a direct hit. Yes. And it is David at 3.8. Yeah, I knew it was me. Wow. Not that I looked it up. I dot. didn't look it up. I just, I, the, way you, the way you asked me when you said, David, what did you guess? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Little detail for you guys. I have been doing some, so many sequels, statting, statistician work, and I've been counting all of our direct hits for the year. So oh, I like that. that one to the list and when we do our you know year in review listeners viewers you can count on some cool so many sequel stats like which one of us is the best at guessing at the letterbox game i was actually going to suggest a point system but that's an off mic conversation oh later. that'd be fun too that'd be bonus points bonus points not a lot of funny reviews on letterbox yet i will say probably not, not a lot of them are more heartfelt or just not that funny so i got no nothing for there to share so with that 
I guess we need to wrap up by giving our final reviews or final ratings. I'm going to be a three. Yeah, I'm going to be a four because I thought this was great. It wasn't perfect. I have some problems with it, but it was a four. So I really enjoyed myself. I do want to say before we quit, and this might be a good one to cut for our social, but (laughs) I do think that it should be noted that I think this is Marvel Studios' most female-driven film they've had yet. Oh, pretty much all sure. of yeah, and that's including movies that where the main character was the superhero female, right? Mm-hmm. All of the principal characters in this movie no. are women. That's um, very that's a great. I mean, that, that's a great aspect of this movie. You're sure. right because it is worth saying that it is really cool to see that this movie is, in a lot of ways, three powerful women who are trying to make big decisions in different ways. You know, mm-hmm. you've got Okoya, who is much more fierce and warrior-like. Traditional. Shuri yeah. wants to drive with technology. And Ramanda is all about the ancestral, the ritualistic and, aspects like, of their belief system. And they all three clash, but women are the main focus here in a lot yeah. of ways. That is a really cool thing to see in a movie like this. Yeah, whether mm-hmm. it's Ramonda or Shuri, Okoye, Nakia, Riri. Um, yes. There's even smaller actors like the Dora Milaje. We get moments with them. Name And uh, Namor has like two right-hand people, and one of them is female, and she has a pretty big role as well. Well, not pretty big. She has a, as bad a big as the Dora Milaje. But yeah, you know, outside of M'Baku like, and Everett Ross, you know, there's not like... Um, a lot of like the male characters, they just kind of, they kind of stand, you know, the, the women are running the show in this movie and it's really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps us up for this week. We'll be back next week with something new. I don't know what. We'll figure oh, it out. Oh, I think remember. we do. We're going to try to do, we're going to try to do Knives Out with the anticipation of Knives Out with Glass Onion coming out, right? Oh, okay. I don't remember. <laughs> I believe we talked about that though. Yeah, we'll give it a shot. If that oh, doesn't happen, you. then this is a fun Easter egg for those listeners. <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, everybody, you can find us online at so many sequels.com. Well, we've got all of our past episodes there. We've covered a lot of Marvel movies. So if you're a big MCU fan, go check out some of those. Subscribe to us on social channels. We're on TikTok, Instagram, and the others. And that's it. We'll see you next time.